Amen. Thank you, Lauren and Nate. Jesus has paid it all. That's why we're here today. I was reading Psalm 122 this morning when I woke up. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. And then I looked outside and the sun was out, which I hadn't seen in about four days. And it's going to be about 60 degrees. Jude put his baseball bat and his glove and a ball in the car today because he's going straight from here to Green Hills Park at J.T. Moore to play baseball uh, before the Super Bowl today. Uh, just a, a beautiful day to be in the Lord's house with the Lord's people to celebrate the Lord and his salvation that he has given to us. I'm glad you're here today as well. We're going to begin a new series for February called Family Values. And no, I'm not talking about waging some kind of cultural you know, battle uh, where we try to reclaim biblical values, although th that is probably somewhat needed, uh, definitely needed today. I'm not talking about the values in your own families either necessarily. What I'm talking about is this family, this family of faith here, Woodmont Baptist Church. The phrase Woodmont family of faith has been used since long before my time here. And I think it's a really important and accurate phrase to describe who we are as a family of faith. I've heard some preachers and, and Christian writers say things like, there's many metaphors in the Bible for the church, and one of the best ones is family. And the problem with that statement is that family is not a metaphor in the Bible. If you are in Christ, then God is literally our father. Jesus is literally our older brother. And if you are in Christ, then you and I are closer than kin. We are brothers and sisters in the same adopted family. By grace, through faith, we are a part of this thing called the Big C Church, the one holy and universal body of Christ. The church is a family, literally. Now, the, the big C church around the world is, is what the body of Christ is, but it's important that each little C church, each local expression of the body of Christ, understands their identity and their role in this body that we play. As a little C church, Woodmont Baptist Church has its own culture, its own context, its own unique calling here in this area of Nashville that we exist in. It takes all kinds of little C churches to make up the one big C church, but each little C church needs to play its part. So. Our particular local family of faith is here for the same reason that all Little C churches exist. We all have the same mission given to us by Jesus Christ, our Lord. We have this mission. Gabe, put that mission statement up there for us. To love the Lord with all that we are. To love our neighbors as ourselves and to make disciples of Christ. That will never change. That's the God-given biblical mission and purpose of the Big C Church. But every little C church has a vision for where they think the Lord is leading us. Our unique vision statement, at least for this season, and this will change, this is not something that will always be the same, but our vision is to bring hope and healing to our neighbors and to the world. 
Last week, we heard Trey preach a great sermon on, on what it means to, to bring healing to those that desperately need it. Two weeks ago, I preached on hope, the hope that we have in, in our resurrection with Christ to be raised into a whole new kind of life with a new existence and a new creation. So our unique vision also means that we have unique values. Values are the ideals that each church cherishes in their particular context, in their body of believers, in their family of faith. They are family values. They're unique to our culture, to our context. And as I wrote in the, the Herald article, it was a little lengthy. I think Andy had to make the font real small. He might need a magnifying glass this month to read the article. But if we're going to be effective in carrying out our mission, if we're going to actually see our vision to bring hope and healing come to fruition, then we've, we've got to know who we are. We've got to clearly define our values. What are our family values? What are things that we believe are important to Woodmont Baptist Church in our family of faith? Sometimes these things are in the corporate world. You probably have this somewhere at your office, the core values of your company or business. But core values imply that these things are central to who we are. They are part of the core identity of our church. So knowing our values is, is really important, obviously, for our mission and vision. Knowing our values will keep us all on the same page. It, it will help us know what kind of culture we're trying to create here at Woodmont Baptist. You can use the core values as kind of a lens through which we see all of our programs, all of our ministries, all of our missions, everything that we do, we can kind of look through these core values as a lens of where we feel God is leading us to go. Our core values can kind of serve as a, a litmus test for all the decisions that we make. Do these decisions line up with our core values or do they not? Is that not really who we are? So again, last October, five of our staff huddled up in a small room for three days and prayerfully uh, asked the Lord to show us what kind of church he was calling us to be. And we came up with a list of, of five core values that we believe are, are really important to Woodmont and, and will be even more important as we continue to grow and go forward. These five values are what we believe are the core of who Woodmont Baptist Church really is, our family values. And here they are, worship, prayer, truth, family, and mission. Worship, prayer, truth, family, and mission. All this month, we're going to be talking about those five values and what they mean to Woodmont Baptist Church. I'm going to unpack each of those, starting with the first two today, worship and prayer. We've talked a lot about worship over the, the past couple of years. It's, it's Obviously, the first line in our mission statement is to love the Lord our God. Jesus told us that was the greatest commandment. The first and greatest commandment is to worship the Lord, to adore him, to, to give of ourselves in worship, not just at church. It's not about singing songs. It's about living a lifestyle of worship. We know that Romans 12.1, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice as what? As a spiritual act of worship. 
that daily we would sacrifice ourselves on the altar and say, take all that we are, God. We love you with our whole heart, with our whole strength, and with our whole mind. When we get that right, everything else falls into place. It's the key purpose of our church. It's the first of our five purposes, you know, the, the five triangles. The very first purpose of the church is to worship God with all that we are. If we can do that, the rest of them will fall into place. It's the first line of our mission statement, to love the Lord with all that we are. The problem with worship, the problem with obeying the greatest commandment is that John Calvin says our hearts are idle factories that just keep churning out false gods, counterfeit gods that we give our worship to, our love, our adoration to. We get our loves out of order, as St. Augustine said. We tend to put things that are not ultimate things in the first place in our lives. We tend to give our love and adoration. We tend to chase after things that are not ultimate because only the triune God is ultimate. We forget that, and so we have to be reborn by grace through faith in Jesus Christ in order to rightly order our loves, in order to live a life of purpose and flourish and thrive, in order to put God first and foremost above all things in our lives. And when we do that, when we honor God as God, then everything else falls into place. I'm so grateful that the Lord has brought Aaron Duncan and his sweet family to our church. Aaron is really, honestly and truly, a, a, not just a worship leader. I know it sounds cheesy, but he really is a lead worshiper. Aaron is someone who brings himself to the altar every day, not just Sunday, and who shows us what an example of someone who loves the Lord should look like. Aaron models worship for us, and I am so grateful that he's here. You know, Aaron calls us to, to follow him as he leads himself to the throne, so we follow him in order to lay our crowns down together at the, the feet of the only one who is worthy to receive them, the only one who makes sense, the only one who is worthy to receive all honor and glory and praise. I pray that we can learn to be worshipers, true worshipers, in spirit and in truth, not just Sundays, but every day. I pray that worship would continue to be a priority. We talked about hiring a part-time worship leader. We said as a church of our size, need a full-time worship leader, and we decided, you know what? Worship is so important. We wanna invest in worship. And so we want a full-time worship leader who can help us do that great commandment to love the Lord with all that we are. So since we've correctly focused on worship so much the last kind of couple of years, I really want to focus on prayer today. The conference leader that we went to last October said your, your core values should describe who you are, not necessarily who you want to be. And so he said maybe one or two at the most could be aspirational values, something you aspire to. But they really should describe who your church is. That's why we have things like truth and mission and family in there, because I think that's really who Woodmont is. But I would ask you this, are we a praying church? 
Does Woodmont really value prayer? I think yes, in many ways, but we have a long way to go. We have a long way to go to become the kind of praying, spirit-filled church that I think the Lord is calling us to be. So our text for today comes from 1 Thessalonians, uh, the letter, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to uh, 18. So I, I chose this, this may seem strange, but I chose this on purpose because it's really not three separate commandments, it's really one, and I think you can memorize this. I think you should memorize it. So let's stand together as I read our text for today from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. Hear now the word of the Lord and hide it in your heart. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat. You understand that rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances is easy to memorize but hard to live out, isn't it? You see here in this text, rejoice always. Wait, rejoice sometimes? No. We're commanded to rejoice, to joy forth. It's a verb, always. Is that reasonable? Is that, is that possible? Pray without ceasing. Pray, uh, you know, at meals? Is that what we're supposed to do? Pray every day? Is that what it says? No, it says pray without ceasing. How does that work? If I'm praying in the car and I close my eyes while I'm driving, that's not a good idea, not in Green Hills especially. Give thanks when? At, at meals? Give thanks at Thanksgiving? Give thanks on Sundays? Is that what it says? No, it says give thanks in some circumstances? No. Give thanks in all circumstances. What about when my life is falling apart? What about when that cancer diagnosis comes in positive? What about when my spouse says, I don't love you? What about when my child has walked away from the faith? What about when I, I can't pay my rent and they're threatening to evict me? Even then, give thanks? How's that possible? What is God's word really asking us to do in these three short verses? It's really one commandment. It's really one commandment, and it's about intimate communion with the Lord. So it's highly appropriate on a communion Sunday that we read this text together. Let's set it in context first. We know from Acts chapter 17 that Paul and, and Timothy and Silas went to the Macedonia, they answered the Macedonian call. Paul had the dream and, and saw a man calling him to come to Macedonia. And Thessalonica was the capital city. It was a Roman province of Macedonia, what is modern day Greece today. And the Bible says that Paul and Silas and young Timothy stayed for three Sabbath days and they preached in the synagogue about the gospel of Jesus. And there were several converts. And they planted First Baptist Church Thessalonica, of course. And, and many of the Jewish leaders obviously were not happy about this since they had split the synagogue into believers and non-believers. So they 
started a riot and they told the crowds, these men have turned the world upside down and now they're doing it here. Oh, that people would accuse Woodmont Baptist Church of turning the world upside down. And so they, they run Paul and, and his fellow missionaries out of town. They sneak out at night. But later, Paul sends Timothy back to check on, on First Baptist Thessalonica and see how they're doing. And by God's grace, they were actually doing pretty good. But as young, immature believers often do, they were confused about some core things. They were confused about Christ's return, but they were also confused about just how to live a simple Christian life. What does it look like on a daily basis to thrive and flourish as God would have them to as Christian Christians, as real, regenerated, reborn Christians? So Paul tells them, here's how to do it. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That's how to live the Christian life. And again, this is about one idea, about being close to the heart of God on a daily basis, on an on a hour by hour, minute by minute basis. How is it possible to be joyful always? Let's talk about joy before we get to prayer. Even in the midst of trials, like the intense religious and political persecution that the baby Christians in Thessalonica would face, how is it possible to have joy in those circumstances? Well, it's because of the hope that we have in Christ. It's what I preached on two weeks ago. It's what we're trying to bring to our neighbors and to the world, the hope, the eternal hope of Jesus Christ. And you may say, what is that hope? Is it just that I can die and go to heaven? No, That's, there's so much more to the gospel than that. The gospel isn't about escaping this world. The gospel is about having true living hope now in the present and bearing that hope out to everyone that we meet. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter five. Ed Fulcher quoted this in a meeting recently. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, that means that we, we stand before the accuser not condemned. There is now therefore no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. That's amazing. We have peace with God. What? The holy God of creation? We have peace with him? How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ, through him, we have also obtained access to God by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, the hope of the glory of he who is all glorious. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. What? That seems sadistic. Rejoice in our sufferings, how? Knowing that our suffering produces endurance. What a gift. And endurance produces character. Wow. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. 
If, if that doesn't make you joyful, nothing can. We have the love of God poured, lavished freely on us. The Holy Spirit, God himself, abides in us. Hallelujah. What a gift. What, what a blessing for each and every day. Bright hope for today, bright hope for tomorrow. This is, this is amazing grace. We've been born all over again. We are now a new creation, destined to not ever die. What is it that Dr. Sherman used to say? Those who are born once die twice. Those who are born twice only die once. Think about it. It's genius. <laughs> you know, it seems unnatural to be joyful in the midst of pain. I know many of you that are going through very real, very bad situations right now. I've, I've prayed with many of you. Some of you, I don't know what you're going through, but I know the reality of this sinful, broken world, that we have tribulation, that we have trial, that we have pain, hard things that we all endure. I don't wanna minimize that, but our joy is not natural either. Our joy is supernatural. Our joy comes from a spiritual insight, from a spiritual reality deep inside of us. We're not doomed to death. We're not doomed to this fallen world. Evil has lost its hold on us. It cannot harm us. We've been born all over again, so we're released from sin, from the power of the grave forever. As Christians, our, our zest for life should mark us to the rest of the world. Churches can be full some of, of some of the most sour-looking, sad sack kind of people, can't they? I'm not just saying Woodmont. We should be full of joy here. Our pews should be filled with joyful Christians who have a supernatural joy that isn't dependent on worldly circumstances, but is based on our sure hope of the glory of God. He's going to make all things new. He is. He's going to win in the end. When at last our Redeemer shall stand upon the earth, we will know that our Redeemer lives. So rejoice. Let's show the world what Christian joy looks like, the kind of joy that comes from the never-ending fount of Christian hope. Now let's talk about prayer. This really isn't a separate command. It's with this commandment to joy forth always that we're commanded to pray without ceasing. Because of our, our great hope in, in Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished and what he's going to accomplish, we're able to turn our, our thoughts and our attention away from ourselves and our puny works, our own human frailty and feeble abilities, and to turn our attention to things that are heavenly. Colossians 3.1, set our minds on things that are above. That's what he's talking about here. To pray without ceasing means to turn our heart's affection and our mind's attention off of ourselves and on to our Lord. And here's the thing. Our, our salvation that, that God has wrought for us in Jesus had nothing to do with our own abilities. It wasn't anything that you or I did to save ourselves. It was something that Jesus alone did for us, right? And the crazy thing is that 
our daily lives, we cannot live them apart from Christ either. As much as we are dependent on Christ for our salvation, we are also dependent on him to live each and every day. Did you think about that? You cannot thrive, you cannot flourish apart from Jesus Christ. If you thrive and flourish, it's only by his grace and for his glory. Have you ever seen a three-legged race or done a three-legged race? I made the rookie mistake of signing up for the three-legged race at Jude and May's field day at Percy Priest last year. A, it was out in the sun. They, they had an indoor uh, you know, games in the gym where it was nice and air conditioned. This was late May and it was about 112 degrees outside and I was out in the sun for three hours uh, with these elementary kids and tying their legs together over and over again for the three-legged race. And inevitably, I'd line them all up, you know, eight or 10, you know, teams of, of two all across the starting line. And I'd say, on your mark, get set, go. And what happened? Splat. Splat, 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 splat. They'd all just fall on their faces. Entertaining, maybe, a little, but uh, miserably hot and, and humid and, and not very effective. I, I was trying to, I ended up coaching the kids. Okay, you know, left, right. You got, you got to work together. Trying to go through life with, without prayer becomes like that. It's, it's like trying to navigate your world with your legs tied together. Our own human feebleness will never allow us to live the kind of life that God has for us apart from prayer. Prayer is as essential as breath, if not more so. I would definitely say more so. And here's the thing, prayer and rejoicing are closely connected. If you hear me say we should be joyful and, and you're like, I don't really feel joyful, how's your prayer life? Prayer removes the obstacles to joy. Prayer reminds us of our hope that allows us to be joyful. Prayer is the antidote for a joyless life. Every time I realize that my life is stressful and anxious, and I'm, I'm joyless, I can guarantee you my prayer life is lacking. When I you know, talk about pray without ceasing, I don't mean walking around talking to God all the time. It's not like we can spend 24 seven going, God, I pray for Aunt Marie's broken leg, and I pray for my neighbor, Bill, and his son to be reconciled, and yada, yada, yada. Praying without ceasing means to live in a spirit of prayer constantly. Dr. Ben Curtis, uh, Trey and I had him for a religion professor at Belmont University. He now runs a, a spiritual discipline center across the street at Woodmont Christian. But he used to say prayer is simply moving your head into your heart. Prayer is, is, is not living out from this mental place of my own abilities. And y'all are very accomplished folks. You're all very intelligent. You have multiple degrees like I do, and you know a lot about a lot of stuff. But none of that stuff matters ultimately, does it? To live the Christian life requires living from our spiritual center. It means living from our heart where the Holy Spirit resides, not from our own intellect or our own emotions or thoughts. It means living from God's thoughts. That's what it means to pray without ceasing. When we live this way, we find that our spoken prayer life 
also begins to thrive and flourish. There's so much to talk about when we talk about prayer. I'm just scratching the surface here, but I, I wanna give you some methodological, I've given you kind of the theological points of prayer. I, I wanna give you some practical tips and some pointers, and I'll tell you what I do in my own life, and I don't, I don't say this to brag, but maybe you could try some of these things. I'm shocked at how many people, when I meet with them and ask them how their prayer life is, some of them will say, yeah, I don't really pray. A lot of people that I've talked to don't really have much of a prayer life. If that's you today, the best thing you could do when you leave this church today is begin to cultivate a life of prayer, a discipline of prayer. The call to prayer is really the call to be a spiritual person. It, we need more spiritual people here at Woodmont, people who are intimately connected to God's heart. We need people for whom prayer is as natural as breath, who live out from that spiritual center instead of from their worldly minds, however gifted or intelligent they may be. Because prayer is our, our lifeline to God himself. Prayer is the, the conduit for spiritual power. Apart from prayer, there is no spiritual power. That doesn't just come through sitting in church. It comes by praying. If we're gonna be effective as a church in seeing our mission and vision actually happen, we have to be a praying church. We gotta have more prayer warriors here on the front lines. We have a lot already. I won't embarrass these people by calling them by name, but we have a lot of pace setters already in our church when it comes to prayer. One of our members is, is notorious for stopping people in the hallway when they begin to talk about a problem and say, why don't we pray about that just right now? You know, I, I, I'm tired of, I, I did it this morning. Logan saw me and uh, uh, Barry Minter were out there and, and someone was telling me about a tough situation they're going through. And I said, yeah, I'll be praying for you. And then they walked upstairs. I said, no, wait. And I ran up the steps and I said, can we just pray right now? And we prayed right then and there. And when I came back down, Logan and Barry said, that's, that's what this guy does all the time. Just stops people in their tracks. I would love to see our hallways. I've seen Trey do that and Rachel and others. I would love to see our hallways on Sunday mornings full of people just putting hands on shoulders and praying for one another right then and there. I challenge you, don't say, because if you're like me, you say, yeah, I'll pray for you, and then you forget. I do, all the time. It's so much more effective just to stop and pray right then and there. Another church member sends out emails with prayer concerns for her Sunday school class, followed by written prayers in the email. She doesn't just list the concerns, she just breaks out into prayer in the emails. Oh Lord, now be with this woman in the hospital. Heal her, comfort her. It's a, a beautiful email. It reminds me of how the Apostle Paul breaks off his arguments you know, in, in Philippians and other places where he just starts praying in those letters. You know, our staff was talking about prayer last week, and Lil Cook said, I wonder how many people in our church even know we have a prayer room. I went down there today. There's a kneeling bench in there. Uh, I'm convinced there's a spiritual covering on our church because of a group of faithful men who have met downstairs, what time, 6.15? Six, 6 sharp. 6 o'clock for 30 plus years, 
more than that, 40, 50 years, this group of men have met every Thursday morning. You're invited to come. It's not a closed thing. Six o'clock, come pray for our church, for whatever concerns, for world missions, for the church around the world. You know, we have several pace setters here, but let me give you some practical tools that I do. And, and let me say, I'm, I'm not a pace setter. I'm working on my own prayer life. First, pray first thing in the morning and last thing at night. When I wake up, I try to say, good morning, Lord. What are my marching orders for today? And last thing before I go to bed, thank you, God, for another day. Watch over us while we rest. Another thing I do is pray the Psalms. Ever since Donald Whitney came and showed us, this, there's a great app that even before I get out of bed in the mornings, I, I look at this app. It has five Psalms. Today's was Psalm 122. Uh, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. When I say pray the Psalms, I don't mean just read them. Let them guide your prayers. For example, on Wednesday, it was Psalm 29. Psalm 29, verse 1 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. I'll read that, then I'll say, okay, God, you command praise from the stars and from the planets. I join them today in praising you and giving you the glory that's due to your name. And then it gives you five psalms. The, the next psalm was Psalm 59. It says, deliver me from my enemies, O God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Lord, keep me safe. Protect me from people who want to do harm to me. Those kinds of things. Who, people who want to harm me emotionally or my reputation or whatever. Praying the psalms has really been the best thing to happen to my prayer life in years. I encourage you to try it. There's an app called Five Psalms. Download it on your smartphone. Do whatever you need to do. In my devotions, I always pray for our church, too. I pray for our church leaders, our deacons, our Sunday school teachers, our committee chairs, committee members. I pray for our staff. I pray for our kids, missions, all those things. And then I pray for my wife and my children every day. I think some of the best parenting that we can do is pray for our kids. Finally, I pray for myself, whatever I have coming up that day, for, for wisdom, for strength, endurance, whatever. You may say, yeah, you're the, you're the preacher though, Nathan. I can't pray like that. Well, Jesus' disciples asked him to teach them to pray. Learn, it's a discipline. Learn, commit to learning to pray. J.I. Packer has a great book on prayer. It's called Prayer, but the subtitle is Finding Our Way from Duty to delight. Prayer will come a, to be a joy for you if you will learn to pray. And in the end, the key to being ever joyful, ever praying, and ever grateful is to delight in spiritual communion with God. We're going to move into a time of communion now. Prayer is about communion with God. It's about delighting in intimacy with our good, good Father. I want us to understand what we're doing here in, in a spiritual, prayerful way today. There's a beautiful quote from a Scottish theologian, John Murray, about communion with God in prayer in times like these. He says, it's necessary for us to recognize that there's an intelligent mysticism, I love that, in the life of faith of living union and communion with the exalted and ever-present Redeemer. He communes with his people and his people commune with him in conscious 
reciprocal love. The life of true faith cannot be that of cold, metallic assent. It must have the passion and warmth of love and communion because communion with God is the crown and apex of true religion. Wow. Are you ready to embrace an intelligent mysticism today? A thoughtful, aware experience of the supernatural love of God in your innermost being. That's what prayer does. It brings us into closeness, communion with the God who is so much infinitely better than anything this world has to offer. Let's go to him now in a word of prayer. Our Lord God, help us to be a praying church. God, we long for a fresh wind, a fresh fire to fall on our church. We need it. God, we acknowledge our own inability to effectively carry out our mission and our vision apart from you. It's only gonna be through your indwelling spirit that we're able to see lives changed for eternity. God, I pray that you would help us to commit to prayer. May we pray intercessory prayers for one another as we bear each other's burdens. May we also pray prayers of adoration as we praise and worship you. May we pray prayers of confession as we acknowledge our shortcomings before you in all honesty and humility. And may we give thanks as we pray prayers of gratitude, as we can give thanks in all circumstances because of your grace. God, I pray that our prayer room would be used more and more, that our knees would wear out from being on the ground so much in prayer to you. God, I thank you for this table and what it represents today. I thank you for your grace as we remember what you've done for us on the cross and as we proclaim your death until you come again. We pray this in the high and holy name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.